Welcome to the Verse by Verse podcast, a ministry of the Friendship Congregational Bible Church. I'm Richard Church, the teacher on Verse by Verse, and I'm glad you've joined with us today as we study together God's infallible word, verse by verse. Um, I, I hope you saw last time that that spiritual battle that's described in Ephesians 6 it's really a, a doctrinal battle that it's describing here. And so the, the armor, when it, here in, uh, in verse 13, when it begins to talk about the, the armor that we have, the armor is a doctrinal armor. It's something to protect against doctrinal attack. So you don't have to worry about some, some uh, uh, principality or power coming and attacking you physically. That's, that's not what's going on. But rather, this armor is a a spiritual armor, and it's a doctrinal armor. Verse 13, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13 says, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And verse 18 says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Now, as you go down through that that armor, again, there's nothing there that's going to protect you from any kind of a, of a physical attack or anything like that, because the battle is not a battle of flesh and blood. He, he says to take the whole armor of God. You know, it's important to have the whole armor, because if you only put on, you know, one piece or, or something's missing, that creates a vulnerability, Right? And, and so it's not enough just to take some of the armor of God, part of the armor of God, but rather to take the whole armor of God. And that armor was something that allowed the soldier to be effective in battle. If a soldier were to go into battle with just a sword, he wouldn't last very long. Um, he he uh, would not be effective as a soldier. But rather, he needs to have on all of that armor in order to be effective as a, as a soldier. And so the goal in putting on this armor of God is to be able to withstand, it says, in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. To stand for the truth of God's word. To stand for for these things that we've been learning in the book of Ephesians. And so he tells them, first of all, the first piece of armor that he mentions. He says, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. And and what he's describing, uh, for something to be girt about, it, it means... It, when you talk about the girth of something, that's the, the distance around it. And to girt something about, he's talking about a belt that you would wrap around yourself. And, and the Roman soldier's belt was very important. Uh, it was usually a, a wide leather belt. And it wasn't, it wasn't to, you know, most of the time we, we wear belts to hold our pants up or whatever. That's not really why they wore a belt. That belt, all of the armor attached to that belt in some way. Uh, certainly their, their sword and, and its scabbard would be attached to that belt, the, the breastplate attached to that belt. Um, and likewise, the, the belt 
protected the abdominal area. You know, that's a, a very, you have some natural protection of your, your uh, upper torso because you have a rib cage, and that rib cage is there to protect your heart and your lungs and those things, but you don't have really any natural protection of your, your abdominal area the, where many of your vital organs are. And so that leather belt was something that, that uh, provided some of that protection. And he says to have your loins girt about with truth. And the idea is that all of these other things, just like that Roman soldier's armor, it all, it all attached to that belt in some way, or, or much of it did, many of the pieces of armor. Truth is a central thing for the believer. And, you know, even the idea that there is any such thing as truth is under attack today. Um, in, in the universities, they are teaching that there is no truth. Now, you know, we have several generations now of young people that have been taught to believe that there are no absolutes. So the idea that there is truth is, is central to everything, just like that belt is central to that, that soldier's armor. And, of course, where the truth is found is in God's Word. The Word of God embodies truth. And the Word of God embodies truth because it is the, the record of the one who is the truth. Jesus Christ said of himself, I am the way, the truth, the life. He didn't say, I am one of many truths. He didn't say, I am uh, you know, something that may seem to be true that is, is not absolute in every circumstance. He said, I am the truth, the way, and the life. And you know, Jesus Christ is called the Word with a capital W, and the Bible is called the Word of God with a, with a small w. Because the Bible is the record of Jesus Christ. It, it says in the book of Hebrews, and it's, it's quoting Christ, when it says, in the volume of the book, it is written of me. And so when you're dealing with the Bible, you are dealing with the person of Christ, and you are dealing with truth. Okay? Uh, and, and so there he says to take the... Truth, or having your loins girt about with truth. If, if you go about, if you go about without any kind of reliance on truth or any kind of knowledge of truth or even, uh, you know, a, a lack of, of understanding that there is, even is any such thing as truth, it makes you completely vulnerable to the attacks of the devil. And so Paul lists that as the very first thing. The way God has designed the human body has spiritual parallels, okay? So, for instance, when the Bible talks about the heart, obviously it's not talking about the muscle in your chest that pumps blood through your body. It's talking about a, a spiritual part of you. It's talking about your, your spirit, right? But in the same way that that heart brings the life-giving blood to all of the body, your, your heart, spiritually, is, it, it's, see, there's a parallel there. Um, it, but it doesn't stop there. For instance, uh, the, the Bible describes God as being the one who trieth the reins and hearts. And that's a, a term that if you've, if you've studied much of the Bible, you've probably heard that term, but maybe didn't understand what it meant. The reins and hearts. We know what hearts are. What are, what are reins? Uh, the reins are actually the kidneys. That's what, that's what the word's referring to. Uh, when somebody has kidney failure, what do they, they call it? They call it renal failure. 
right? That's, that's the reins. And that's because just like the heart, there's a, you know, the heart certainly would be talked about more in Scripture than what the reins would be. But the, the, the internal organs of the body have significance. That's why in the sacrifices in the Old Testament, there were certain parts of the organs of the animal that they sacrificed, certain parts that they didn't, certain parts that had to, had to be sacrificed completely to God. There's significance to all of those things. Okay, and so, so the reins often are used to talk about that, you know, that, that very inward part of man. And that's a big part of what that belt is, is protecting. It would be protecting uh, certainly things like, like the liver, uh, which, which also has some significance, again, if you go back and read about those sacrifices and things, but protects the kidneys and, and those kinds of things. And what's going to protect that inner man is to be girt about with truth. And to be girt about means to be completely surrounded with it, to be surrounded with truth. It's, it's not good enough just to, um, you know, have, have the truth over here and be vulnerable everywhere else. It's to be surrounded with truth, to be immersed with truth. And that's what's going to protect those, those vulnerable parts of the body, those organs and, and things that you need to, to survive and, again, to be effective as a soldier. And so that's the very first thing that Paul lists there. Your loins girt about with truth. Next he says, having on the breastplate of righteousness. And the breastplate was to give additional, additional support to, uh, or additional defense to things like the lungs and the heart. See, so, you now you have some, you have some natural defense there because God gave you a, a rib cage to help protect those things. But that, that breastplate uh, helps to pr- protect the heart. Okay, and when it says to have your having on the breastplate of righteousness, again, righteousness, it's saying that righteousness is a thing that you ought to wear just as that soldier wore that breastplate as a as a protection against the attack of the devil. And see, the thing about these these doctrines that's going to list, if you if you get it wrong, if your belief about righteousness is wrong, you are left vulnerable to the attack of the devil. If you think, for instance, some people might read a passage like that and say having on the breastplate of righteousness and think that it means that they need to go and, and you know, put all their effort into doing righteous works. And I'll tell you, if that's what you believe the breastplate of righteousness is, if you think that that's your own righteousness that you're going to wear to defend yourself, you are left completely vulnerable to the attack of the devil. This is not a righteousness that comes from you. This is called the armor of God, not, not the armor of you. Right? It's the armor of God, and if it's the armor of God and it's a breastplate of righteousness, it's the righteousness of God that is the issue. That's what's going to protect you and defend you. Um, go Put a mark here and go back to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, um, beginning in verse 21. This, these, these verses here, Romans 3, 21 through... Um, down about 27, 28, are, as far as, as far as understanding righteousness, they are some of the most important verses in the Bible for the Christian to understand. Uh, in fact, without some understanding of these verses, you can't, even, you can't even be a Christian, because Paul here is presenting the gospel. He's presenting how you receive righteousness. Verse 21, it says, But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. 
For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say at this time, His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. You see whose righteousness is the issue in all those verses? It's His righteousness, the righteousness of God. Now it says in verse 22 that that righteousness, first of all it says it's by faith of Jesus Christ. Now if you have a Bible that says faith in Jesus Christ or or something similar to that, that that Bible has changed the, the meaning of the term. Um, when it says faith of Jesus Christ, if I, if I talk about faith in Jesus Christ, whose faith is that? That would be my faith in him, right? But if I talk about the faith of Jesus Christ, whose faith is that? That's Christ's faith, right? You realize that Jesus Christ had faith in God the Father. And it was that faith of Jesus Christ in God the Father that sent him to the cross. You remember what Christ prayed the night before his crucifixion? He he prayed if there was any way for that cup to pass from him. But he said, not my will, but thine be done. Do you realize that Jesus Christ had a human will that was separate from the will of God the Father? And Jesus Christ's will was not to go to the cross. But he had faith in God the Father. And he subjected his will to God's will. And he went through that, that awful uh, judgment of the cross that wasn't awful just because of the, the uh, torture that the Romans put him through. He suffered the judgment of God. That's the cup when he asked that the cup would pass from him. That's the, that's the cup of the wrath of God that Jesus Christ suffered in our place at the cross of Calvary. Jesus Christ had faith. Here it says, now, now understand, our faith is going to be mentioned here in, verse, in Romans 3.22 as well, but it says that this righteousness of God is by faith of Jesus Christ. The, the word by is, is talking about the, um, you could say the, uh, I can't think of a good way to explain it right now. It's the, maybe you could say the agency by which something is done. Okay? And, and the faith of Jesus Christ is what allows that righteousness of God to come to the believer. You see that it says that that righteousness of God is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all. It's a, it's a, a free offer unto all to have the righteousness of God by faith of Jesus Christ. See, so it comes from God the Father by Jesus Christ. It is offered unto all, but you see it says upon all them that believe. It's offered unto all, but it only comes upon them that believe. And, and, uh, that, you know, I mean, if you just spend some time on your own studying that verse, um, you, you could probably spe- spend weeks or months just studying the things mentioned there in that verse if you really wanted to get a, a clear grasp of what it's talking about. But you see, it's not our righteousness. Or I, I could say we don't originate that righteousness. It's the righteousness of God. Now, it's true that when somebody believes the gospel, God Im- imputes, he, he uh, credits that righteousness to their account so that their righteousness is God's righteousness, all right? Having nothing to do with, with our works or what we do or any, any of those things, it has to do with who God is. And, and so you see that that, uh, that righteousness is upon all them that believe. Um, 
it, it goes on to point out that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That If we try to stand in our righteousness, that's where we are. We're coming short of the glory of God. You know what the scripture says about man's righteousness? It says all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And actually the, the description there of the filthy rags... It's not, it's not just talking about maybe something you would use in your shop or whatever and, and get dirty. It's talking about the rags that a leper would use to dab his sores and that, that pus and, and corruption and filth of that rag. You're, that's what God says your righteousnesses are. I know if your righteousnesses are that, imagine what your sins are. Okay, but that's what your righteousnesses are to God. And when somebody is trying to, to use that somehow in this battle as their armor, their own righteousness, they've got, a, they've got a, a breastplate made out of those filthy rags that isn't going to protect you one bit. They're trying to do the same kind of thing that Adam and Eve did back in the garden when they were guilty before God and ashamed, and they tried to patch these, these fig leaves together to, to hide their shame and their guilt. And it was insufficient to do it. They needed something provided by God, in their case, God provided that uh, animal sacrifice and a, a skin for them to wear to protect that. And if you're going to try and stand in the battle with your own righteousness as a protection for you, um, you are, are woefully unprepared for the attack that will come. Uh, and so, so this passage here in Romans 3 declares not our righteousness, but God's righteousness. And, and uh, when, we, you know, when we are willing to trust Christ, forsake our own righteousness, repudiate our own righteousness and our own works, um, that's, that's when we can receive this righteousness of God. You know, people uh, oftentimes when they talk about repentance, talk about repenting of sins, and certainly the Bible talks about repenting of sins, but you know the Bible also talks about repenting of dead works. Sins aren't the only thing people have to repent of. People have to repent of the, the, the works that they've done that they're so proud of that they think protect them and, and uh, are uh, honoring and pleasing to God and, you know, just repudiate that and it's instead accept by faith this righteousness of God. And so that breastplate is there to protect the heart. Now understand that when you receive that righteousness of God, there's some things that take place in your heart, right? There's a new nature created in you and now you can actually do acts of righteousness that you couldn't do before. See, for the, for the believer who's, who is, um, go, go, to, go to Ephesians chapter 2. For the believer who is, by faith, uh, allowing God's work to, or God's word to, to work in them, um, allowing Christ to live his life in them, it's going to result in some works, right? And some works of righteousness. But uh, here in Ephesians 2, uh, verses 8 and 9 are the verses about salvation. For by grace are you saved through faith, and then not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. Verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. But you see, those works it's talking about there are a result of salvation. It's not those works that are the breastplate that, that protects you. It's the righteousness of God that is that. And... Um, the you know the at the at the moment and this is this battle is a a moment by moment battle at the moment that we start to trust in our own works we make ourselves vulnerable to the to the attack of the enemy and um, and rather we ought to be resting in that armor of God that righteousness 
that he has provided that we have by faith. Let's go back to, uh, to our text in Ephesians 6. And so he mentions the loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness. Verse 15 says, And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Don't underestimate how important the feet of these soldiers were. Soldiers have always been um, admonished to take care of their feet. Uh, that does, that's not just in ancient times. Uh, you think about you think about uh, men that fought in Southeast Asia, and one of the one of the common maladies was to get trench foot and other things from from having your feet wet all the time, and to to uh, have those feet properly cared for. Um, here he says to have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, the good news of peace, to to be able to go out to the world and tell them that God has reconciled the world unto Himself, that you can have peace with God. By simply being, being reconciled to him uh, through what Christ accomplished. Now, it doesn't just say to have your feet shod with the gospel of peace. It says to have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And you realize it takes preparation to, to uh, go out and tell people those things. You have to prepare to do it. It's not something in most cases that are, that's just going to happen naturally. You may have a couple instances in your life where a conversation of the gospel just comes up naturally. But it takes preparation. And there's a preparation of the gospel of peace here that it describes as, as being uh, having the feet shod. Now, it's no accident it talks about the feet here because the feet are what you're going to use to go somewhere. Uh, the scripture says that, that uh, it talks about the beauty. It says, beautiful are the feet of them that proclaim peace. And there's a, there's a preparation that takes place. Uh, if you know the right message and you know these things about, about righteousness and you know the thing that your friends and neighbors and, and the strangers you meet need to hear in order to have eternal life, if you know those things, you have a responsibility to share it with them. And again, that takes some preparation. And... Uh, un- unfortunately, most, most Christians, and I'm not talking just professing Christians, I'm, I mean most Christians who have truly believed the gospel, even if just naturally out of nowhere the conversation came up, would not be able to clearly present the gospel to somebody. Um, it takes preparation. You need to, to go to God's word and, and you know, figure out what it is that somebody needs to believe to be saved. Sometimes we have a, a tendency to add in other things or to use unclear terminology when it comes to the gospel and, and that kind of thing. You've got to be able to, to wade through that and really come to, you know, what, it, what is it that the Bible says is the gospel of peace? And, and with the Bible, uh, the, the gospel, the good news by which people are saved today, by which they have peace with God, is that Christ died for our sins, was buried, and rose again the third day. Now, that's it in a nutshell. You, you understand there's a lot of explanation that has to go along with that. But people get confused with things. They, they uh, you know, you hear these terms that people use, like ask Jesus into your heart. You don't find that in the Bible. Um, make him the Lord of your life. You don't find that in the Bible. That's not how a person is saved. Christ said there are going to be people who say to him, Lord, Lord. And he's going to say to them, I never knew you. Right? Those people had made him the Lord of their life, but they weren't saved. And so there's all these things that, that take away that clarity from the gospel, and there's a preparation that we have to, to involve ourselves with to be able to, to go and do that. Having the feet shod with the preparation 
of the gospel of peace. Verse 16, it says, above all, taking the shield of faith. Now, when it says above all, it's not saying that that's the most important thing. What it's saying is that's, that's out in front of everything else. It says, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And, you know, the fiery darts that it's, it's talking about, um, and, and this was something that, again, they would have been familiar with in, in the warfare of their day, um, where they would shoot these, these flaming arrows and things. And a, a big part of why they, why they uh, would shoot fiery darts um, was it, it wasn't so much to, to actually kill the enemy as it was to distract the enemy, Okay. And that's a lot of what Satan does, is he, he gives us, you know, something. We're not that much different than, you know, any other animal. You, t- you take a fish and you put something shiny in front of them and they'll go after it, right? And we're the same way. And so much of the things that Satan does to distract the believer, that's all it is. He just puts something shiny out in front of you and, and all of a sudden you're following after that thing instead of these things of God's word. And what it says is to take that shield of faith, to take faith and use it as a shield. Now, this is not... The, the kind, you know, the, the world has a definition for faith that is not the biblical definition of faith. Most of the time, when the world defines faith, they will say that, that faith is believing in something that you have no evidence for. Isn't that how the world defines it? When they talk about, for instance, uh, the conflict between faith and science. Well, there is no conflict between faith and science. Um, there, by the way, the word science just means knowledge. All right. There is a conflict between faith in God's word and, you know, some of the things that that people, uh, some of the ways people interpret science. Right. But but I'll tell you, the scientist has faith, doesn't he? I mean, he just has his faith in some different things than what you have in God's word. The scientist has faith in what he can see and feel and, and experiment with and observe. Right. And. That's, that's fine if you take that as far as it goes. That's a very limited way to look at the world because there's not a lot that you can see and, and observe and experiment with. And certainly with these spiritual things, you cannot. Um, what, what Scripture says about faith, it says that it is the... Go over, to, go over to Hebrews chapter 11. I'll show you the verse instead of just quoting it for you. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 is known as the faith chapter. It begins by defining faith and then giving examples of faith it says now faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen okay now just because something is not seen doesn't mean it doesn't exist it doesn't mean it's not real and it doesn't mean there there isn't any evidence for it again i encourage you put god's word to the test right and in the things that you can test test it against god's word there's i have nothing to fear from that and god's word has nothing to fear from that uh, it'll stand up to those tests, all right? Um, when you see the Bible describing the universe in ways that we have only found out about in the last 50 years, that is evidence for the truth of God's word. That's evidence that it was not written by men who didn't have any knowledge of, of you know, the world or the universe. It was written by God who designed the universe, okay? There, there's evidence for God's word. But it says that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. There are some things you can't test, but see, if the Bible's right in all the things you can test, don't you have to give it the benefit of the doubt in the things you can't test? 
If it's true in, in all those other things, doesn't it establish itself as a reliable authority for the things you, you can't test? You know, most of the things that we learn, we don't go out and learn them by experimentation. We learn them by authority. Um, you know, most things that, that, you know, any average person knows about science, for instance, they didn't go out and experiment it and, you know, find it for themselves and redo all of Newton's experiments and all of Kepler's experiments and all, all those things. You take it by authority that those things are true, right? And sometimes you find out your authority wasn't real reliable. With God's word, you can, again, you can test it and you will never find it to be unreliable. And when, when you have that, when, when it says taking the shield of faith, there, I'll tell you, there's a lot of things I don't understand in the world. There's a lot of things I don't understand in God's word. But since I know it's a reliable authority, those things that I don't understand, if I, if I just assume God's word is true, I won't go wrong. You see? And all those things that Satan puts out there to distract people, all those fiery darts of the wicked, above everything else, you take that shield of faith. That's like your, your for, for that individual soldier, that's his, that's his outward mode of defense, right? If something gets past the shield, then you got the breastplate of righteousness. If something gets past the, the shield, you've got that, that belt, you've got these other things. But the shield is that, that uh, outward defense, that, most, that outermost defense. And again, it's faith that is that shield, that protection. Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com. Thank you for joining us today, and our prayer is that this program would be a blessing to you in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's grace.